0: Hey, hi, I'm Bonnie. Welcome to this podcast, Make Joy Normal, where we chat about homeschooling and family life. With my co-hosts, Elizabeth and Christina, we address your questions and topics in a way that can create more joy in our lives. Please submit any questions you have by email or voice message in the links in the show notes. If you found this episode valuable, please share it with a friend, like, or leave us a review. That's how we get the word out. Thanks for trying to make joy normal in your own life. on in our homeschool journey, I became aware that beauty and an appreciation for art in all its various forms was a really important aspect to our home education, especially because I had artistic children and I wanted to foster that in them. So years ago, I discovered Catholic heritage curricula and was first introduced to their art appreciation resources for young children in their art masterpieces series, which was excellent and we used for a number of years. A desire for deeper understanding led us to the CHC program, Ever Ancient, Ever New. It's a program in two parts. Ever Ancient, Ever New guided us from ancient art forms chronologically to the art of the Renaissance. And then part two leads us from the art of the High Renaissance through the modern era. The first thing that drew me to the art appreciation uh, that they offer is the the history and the distinctly Catholic perspective. It was really beautiful. But the program also presents art theory and opportunities to practice with a companion art pad that goes along with the books. CHC materials are always steeped in beauty, and this program is really delightful. It helped us cultivate a sensitivity to beauty. And I think for the children that I used it with, it gave us all the foundation in the eras of art and characteristics that define them. The lives of artists, cultural influences, and the implications of those influences in art uh, are explored in the context of each chapter. Every Inch and Ever New can be used independently by children in grades five and up, or read together as a family with, sh- with much younger children. As something we valued in our family, this program makes art appreciation something that parents can share with their children without being overwhelmed by the idea of introducing art. It's beautiful, it's simple, and engaging. A link to the program is in the show notes. Have a look and enjoy all of CHC's art programs and all of their beautiful programs as well. Hey, good afternoon. So uh, another solo talk here. This talk is called Raising Holy Children. I call it that because, uh, not because I am so good at raising holy children, <laughs> uh, but because I think that we need to really take a look at what that means, right? Raising holy children. So, so I have seven kids. My oldest is 35, 30 uh, year old, 28 year old, 25 year old, 22 year old, 19 year old and 16 year old uh, who still lives at home and is still homeschooling. Uh, that's a big range of children. We have kids over nineteen years. It's also a huge range of temperament, of ability, of strength, of weakness, different levels of defiance, of rebelliousness, of um, a propensity to worldliness, a propensity to docility. So there is a lot going on there. And if any of you have, you know, a few kids, you're going to know. You just can hardly believe these children and such. A variety of temperaments and uh, responses and needs all come from the same set of parents, right? It's it's remarkable. So the title of this talk is "Raising Holy Children." What does that mean? So I think that the short answer to that is that we raise children who desire to draw closer to God, who desire conversion. So we have to really be careful not to make the mistake of thinking that holy is perfect or holy. Is good behavior, uh, or holy is not compliant. Okay, that that a child is compliant if they're holy. We can't equate holiness with well behaved children. Okay, and and if I can sort of explain this a little bit further, I have a desire to do God's will. I always, it's always forefront on my mind to do God's will. All right, but I'm not well behaved. Uh, but I am trying to do God's will. So it's difficult to quantify, uh, you know, am I succeeding? Am I succeeding at this job of parenting? Uh, It looks like well-behaved children, you know, it looks like success. We can mistake that for success. So it's easy to quantify when a child is being compliant, we think, okay, well, that if, if, if we call compliance holiness, then that's easy to quantify because clearly my child is compliant or non-compliant, and therefore they're holy or not holy. So we, we step back from that, okay? You are doing my will, therefore you are compliant. That equals holiness, therefore I'm succeeding. If you aren't doing my will, you are being bad, therefore I'm failing, okay? So, does it mean that they love God or that they desire God or they desire to do God's will if they are not doing our will? Okay, now it could be argued that there is some relationship there. And I think that that there is. But what we're really doing is we really have to, as parents, step back and take the long view. All right, we become very attached to our children's behavior and Ultimately, it is our job as parents to form them and socialize them and create an environment where they will desire to draw closer to God through our example, through our showing them the love of God and our behavior towards them. So we can become quite reactive in the moment. we We just want the behavior to stop. We just want the non-compliance to stop. We just want peace, okay? So here's an interesting thought. Because we just want it to stop. The behavior is bad and we just want it to stop. Just stop doing that thing. Stop doing that thing. We aren't compliant. Okay. We aren't compliant to what is happening. Okay. Life is happening and it's hard. And God has given us an opportunity to lean on Him and we rail against it because we don't want to take that opportunity. We don't want to be compliant to our circumstances. Okay. So we are exemplifying noncompliance to our children all the time. And we desire holiness and we desire to draw closer to God. So those profound reactions that we have when our children misbehave or act out or don't behave in ways that we, we expect, that profound reaction that we have is a reaction of love. And we have to acknowledge that because we don't react the same way when somebody else's children behave the same way right? So we can sort of step back and think, okay, uh, okay, that's kind of funny or cute or, or whatever. But when our children do it, it's not funny or cute. Or when they reach a certain age, it's not funny or cute. So, so the reaction is love because we want them to be holy, to be responsible, to be cooperative, to be thoughtful, to be self-motivated. And we start wanting those things before they're really capable of of having those things. So that's that's love. That is our desire to form them to love God. You know, they're not going to do that at 2 or 7 or even 12. So we have to kind of remove ourselves from the situation, knowing that just because they're not behaving that way at 2 or 7 or 12 doesn't mean they're, that we're not raising good human beings, right? It is our job to civilize those children in the civilization of love, which is the family. Pope John Paul called the family, a civilization of love. But we react to their misbehaviors because we're invested. And that means that love, because we become reactive, doesn't look or feel very loving for us or for the child on the receiving end. So, so there's an incongruity or an ingenuous feeling if it feels that way to us, for sure, we're not. We're not. We don't. When we yell at our kids, or or are unkind to our kids, or are despising our kids, or reactive to our kids, we feel ingenuous when we step back from that. In the moment, it might feel you know satisfying even, but we feel ingenuous when we think, okay, this is not what I want for my family. This is not what I want from me, and it's not uh, how I want to be. My kids to be knowing me, and and uh, me being a door to. God's love, a conduit for God's love. And so it imparts incongruity in our own souls, but also to our children. So if we want to be a person who can effectively evangelize others, our kids have to be the priority. We have to evangelize our kids. And we don't do that by yelling at them, by feeling irritable with them, by being unkind when we're angry. This is a really important thing for us to to sort of grapple with you know and we will do it we will be imperfect there will be times when we're mad or angry or unkind but we have to have a really solid understanding in who we are as parents and what we want okay and our role as evangelists right to our children so discipline is vitally important okay but we often see discipline as making them behave and and instead really if we kind of kind of turn that around provide the environment to make them want to behave we want to create an interior disposition right so how do we create that interior disposition a lot of that comes through modeling parents you are the curriculum I am not compliant, and compliant is not the ticket to holiness or personal growth. In fact, I think that when we're not being compliant except to God, we're actually modeling something for our kids, right? We're modeling, kind of in a sense, misbehavior. We are not being compliant to our circumstances, okay? So, compliance, if we just complied with everything around us, uh, and I'm talking about, you know, in the world, not to God, but in the world, that we would be carried away by all that the world has to offer us. And that's not what we want. Compliance is not the goal, only compliance to God. Where do we experience compliance for God, but in the circumstances of our life? As homeschoolers, in particular, we are doing something that is absolutely not compliant. The culture says we should put our kids in school. uh, And we don't, we are non-compliant so and then we want our kids to comply. So it's it's kind of crazy like if, if we think about it, it's kind of crazy. And I'm not saying we should not homeschool, but we should we should always be questioning the status quo. Do I want to be compliant to the status quo? Do I want to be compliant to the world around me? So we in a sense we need to be the thermostat parents. I don't know if I've used this analogy before in our uh, in my podcast, but um, you can be a thermostat parent or a thermometer parent. So, thermostat parent is a thermostat in your home stabilizes the temperature in your home. Okay, it's a stabilizing. Force. A thermometer, on the other hand, reacts to the temperature in your home, tells you what the temperature is, reacts to it. So, so we want to be thermostat parents, where we're we're kind of holding the line, and whatever's going on around us, we are bringing it back to that place of comfort or peace. So, what do we do when uh, our kids misbehave? And and I want to qualify what I'm about to say with this statement waiting is not doing nothing okay um even not doing nothing doing nothing is not doing nothing (laughs) okay when you pause when you just pause and allow the circumstances to unfold that takes a lot of um, self-control it takes a lot of, of work on your part our bodies and our brains want to react to keep silence is a very hard thing to do. So even though it appears that you are uh, doing nothing, you are holding your temper. You are holding your words that you're about to shout or or, uh, unkind things you might say or reactivity. You're holding it and holding it is actually harder than doing it. And so you're teaching yourself temperance. You're practicing temperance. You're practicing restraint and you are in a sense, moving over uh, to allow God to do the work of the moment, okay? We grow in this skill uh, over time. We grow as we practice, like everything. We practice temperance. We practice restraint. We grow in the skill. We are also growing in holiness and in empathy every time we do this. Every time we are tender or patient with our child, when they're freaking out, we grow in empathy and so do they so it's a it's a win 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 we grow the child grows and isn't harmed in the in the transaction and we are doing god's will so it's a win 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 so it's possible that this could seem indulgent to sometimes not do anything or to wait but if we if we take the long view we know that practicing self-denial, practicing self-control in small ways, practicing delayed gratification in a sense, is a really important thing. Because there's something gratifying about yelling at a kid who's bugging you. Uh, but if we if we delay our reaction to that, a we're not sort of indulging in in um, uh, you know, the the certain negative gratification of of yelling or shouting or Slamming a door or whatever, that we are teaching ourselves to, in a sense, fast, uh, fast from our uh, reactivity, fast from saying that which we don't want to come out of our mouth. And we live in a culture of self-indulgence, self-indul- and so here we have to really take the long view of what it is we're trying to accomplish, and and knowing that we're tender with our children is something that is going to the payback for that is going to come further down the road as we learn ourselves to respond in holiness and to walk in holiness. When we practice self-denial, it detaches us from our own emotions, right? So, say, for example, the self-denial of food, um, fasting, or the self-denial of You know, scrolling on our phone, whatever it is that we have this emotion that we want satisfied. You know, I feel uh, I want that thing, or I this sounds like it would be a nice little way to escape, or whatever. Uh, that that we can we can transcend in a sense our emotions and say, okay, yeah, I am feeling that way, but I don't need to act on that feeling. I could just acknowledge that it's there and and then move on. Yeah, yeah, sure. I'd love to scroll on my phone right now, but I, I'm not going to do that. I'm, I'm choosing something different. So when we are practicing this with our children to wait or to um, hold still, tread water, when they're misbehaving, it is not permissiveness, okay? It forgives the behavior. It assumes the best and it doesn't undermine their relationship. So we can talk about what went wrong later. We can do that. What that patience does when our children are misbehaving is it bears wrongs patiently. Okay. So this child is misbehaving. Maybe they're doing something to me, to another sibling, to, to, um, they're just doing something that I don't like, bear the wrong patiently, and we can teach them the right, uh, outside of these highly emotional circumstances. Okay. So, Our goal is to guide their hearts as opposed to controlling their behavior. So we're working towards an interior uh, sense of peace, a sense of capacity to not get wrapped up in uh, their emotions, either us not getting wrapped up in them or they themselves not getting wrapped up, just knowing they feel a thing right now. Uh, but they don't have to hit anybody. They don't have to scream, uh, and we set that example. Okay, so it's a it's a, a development of interior peace for us as parents. If we slow down, we are much more likely to be able to respond appropriately to our children. So if we slow down our speech, slow down our movement, kind of in a sense, put on joy. Okay, we breathe. Uh, we are much more likely, something's frustrating us, we take a deep breath, we're much more likely to remember how how it is God would ideally have us respond to a situation. The hardest part is remembering. And I think that we have to find ways to create an environment so we can remember better uh, and have opportunities to practice. God would like for us to be Soft and receptive, and docile, and open, and available to our guidance. Uh, Saint Thomas said that the best way to convert somebody is take them by the hand and lead them. So, in the same way that God is trying to take us by the hand and lead us gently to grow in holiness, this is the way we need to respond to our children, so that they understand the way that God works through us and with us to become holier people. <laughs> We have to remember that our children are, in a sense, barbarians, right? Uh, and taking them by the hand and leading them is what is good and true and beautiful. If we're considering on the day-to-day that we are converting our children, not controlling our children, that our goal is to live in peace with them, then we will take them by the hand gently many times a day, many, many times a day. So take a long view. Parents with kids who've left the faith are probably not thinking, I should have been more strict, right? I should have been more strict. That uh, that would have changed things, okay. And you know, if our children have left the faith, we need to pray for that. If you have adult children or uh, older teenager children, uh, we have to pray for that and work on our relationships with them. That's the number one thing that is going to provide an environment where we can influence our children to to be open again to loving God and to the faith that they were raised with. And when I say influence, I do not mean manipulate. It's a very, very different thing. We want to influence our children with the good, the true, and the beautiful. We want to open that door for them. Whether they're small or whether they're big, you know, we have to keep our end of the relationship open at all times so that they can be be brought into the fold. They can choose that. They can choose the love that God has placed in their hearts. So so I hope this is helpful. If it raises any questions, please don't hesitate to get in touch with me. You can uh, leave me a voice message now uh, in the link in the show notes, or you can contact me via email in the link in the show notes as well. So God bless you. Have a beautiful afternoon.